Hello and welcome to More Than Tracy Turnblad, the podcast about fat representation in entertainment. My name is Abby Rose Morris, and today I'm talking with Katrina Rose, who has obviously my same middle name, which is incredible. You might know Katrina from The Voice. She's also a wonderful musical theater performer and has played Tracy Turnblad twice as the standby on the national tour of Hairspray and also in the Las Vegas production. So we're going to hear about all that in the episode. This episode contains potential triggers for eating disorders. There are some descriptions of eating disorder behaviors. I have bleeped out calories and like numbers of exercise hours, but there still are those descriptions and there also are some weight numbers, but I kept those in because I think it's important to know what weights Katrina was at when she was experiencing fat phobia in the industry to really demonstrate how skewed these standards are. So if that eating disorder discussion is not something you can handle right now, then you can either skip past it or maybe this isn't the episode for you. So this is the longest episode in more than Tracy Turnblad history. And as such, I have split it into two sections. So today you're going to be hearing part one and then next week I will publish part two. Uh, This is going to be the season finale of season one. I have no idea how podcast seasons work, so I'm just ending it at this point. And then uh, season two is going to start up sometime in late August. So the reason for this is that I have a few weeks where I don't think I can get a podcast out because of traveling, vacationing, uh, job stuff. And um, I just feel like I need some time to regroup and... uh, get on top of stuff for the next season. And I also am running out of the money that I've been using from my solo show tickets from years ago uh, that has been financing this podcast. And so I'm going to be starting a fundraiser to help keep it afloat for season two. And then hopefully going forward, I will find a way to make some consistent enough money to just keep it going and keep it running. It doesn't take very much. All that it takes per month is like $18 for my Buzzsprout subscription and then I pay for Canva Pro to make the promo stuff. So if I could just get that covered, that's all I'm looking for. I'm going to have more details for you and an exact amount that I'm looking to raise next week on the part two of the season finale. But for right now, I want to talk to you about fat phobia and educational theater. And I want to give you some red flags that you may uh, be able to identify in your high school theater program, college theater program, uh, or whatever environment, educational environment you may be in. So these are some red flags that will show you if a program is fat phobic. If on the audition sheet, they ask for weight or BMI rather than clothing size or measurements. Not that it's inherently unfatphobic to be admitting people or not or casting people or not based on their measurements, but if it's not a practical costume issue and they think that weight dictates size, that's a big, big, big red flag, like sound the alarm bells. I'd say it's also a mini red flag if they think your uh, your clothing size is really important. I personally think clothing size should go on resume instead of weight because just everybody looks different at different weights and like one weight doesn't look the same on everyone. And, uh, you know, in an ideal world, we wouldn't need to know the size of somebody to cast them. But like, sadly, that is something that sometimes needs to be known. So once you're there, once you're in the program or once you're in a show, uh, if they only assign you material of fat characters and or older characters, that's a big red flag. Because 
if you are a 20-year-old, even if when you get out, you might be covering some older characters and like maybe a few once in a while is good to stretch you, like you you should not be exclusively singing the repertoire of 40-year-olds because like you're not 40 and you should get your chance to explore different kinds of roles because you might learn something about yourself. If you're being strictly typed in class in an educational setting, And if you're being strictly typed in shows, but especially if it's in your class material, that's a big red flag. And that means your theater program cannot look past your size. If they get annoyed when you can't fit into their costumes, big red flag. If they seem to be blaming it on you when they don't have a costume that will fit you and won't get one and won't put in the work to get one, big red flag. If they make you buy your own costumes, huge red flag. Uh, Even in high school, even in middle school. Um, hopefully colleges won't do that, but you know, sometimes they will ask you to bring stuff from home. And while I'm not inherently against that, sometimes personally prefer to do that. I do think that there sometimes is a time and a place for it. And sometimes it just means your costume designer doesn't know how to dress a fat body and doesn't want to bother dressing a fat body and feels like they shouldn't have to. So I think you can tell based on the vibe what's going on there especially if it's a higher budget show too, or if it's a school with a lot of resources and they're not buying stuff for you, big red flag. Another red flag is if they talk a lot about the importance of fitness and nutrition, but don't provide any resources for that. So if they're like, you need to be fit to like succeed in LA or whatever, or, you know, whatever market or whatever facet of the industry, but they don't give you any resources to do that. They don't give you Uh, you know, a place to work out. They don't teach you how to like do any kind of fitness things. They don't teach you how much you should be doing. They don't uh, help you figure out what like sort of your nutrition needs are. If they are just saying be fit, be fit, you'll know that it's a red flag and you'll know that being fit is code for looking fit and being skinny Um, or not, not even necessarily skinny, but like looking thin, lean, slender, toned, whatever. Ah, if they have WANs, that's an obvious red flag and you should run screaming. Please don't subject yourself to that, especially if you're in a larger body. If they mandate that you lose weight or tell you that you'll get certain rewards if you lose weight, obviously that is also a red flag. I don't know that like you should automatically dismiss every school that exhibits one of these red flags, but I hope that if that happens to anyone who's listening to this, that you feel okay to say either, you know, this is inappropriate or uh, if you want me to do this, you need to help me do it healthily and provide me support and provide me like nutrition counseling and training. And uh, you can't just expect me to do this with no resources because that is irresponsible. I know in this book, Till the Fat Girl Sings, Sharon Wheatley's autobiography, who's a Broadway actress, she uh, talks about how she had in her contract for cats that she had to lose weight. And she said, okay, well, if you're going to put this in my contract, you need to get me a nutritionist, you need to get me a personal trainer, and you need to help me. Like, you need to actually provide me resources on how to do this healthily. And because otherwise, like, it's a slippery slope to an eating disorder or what have you. Even just a very toxic relationship with food in your body. Uh, If they make fat shaming comments as feedback on your performance, that is not a program that is looking out for you and trying to, um, you know, it's not a program that cares about you as a person or your mental health. It's a program that only cares about you as a product. 
uh, if they equate size with attractiveness and attractiveness with marketability in the industry. This kind of goes back to the fitness one, um, but I see this a lot. It's a really uh, sneaky one. It can be very insidious um, and it's not usually that explicit, but uh, if they're saying you're young actors, you need to be attractive. Being attractive is what gets you jobs. Like, first of all, there's kind of a slippery slope to sexual harassment with this. Um, and also it's just like the whole idea of being marketable and like that you have to look hot to be marketable. And like, it's just silly. And it's something that I think it's not unreasonable to expect theater programs and acting programs to challenge this or performance programs at all. Like, I don't think that's unreasonable for them to be a part of challenging this in the industry because they play such a big part in upholding it. If they say, we just don't know what to do with you in terms of casting, that's a big red flag. You want to be really careful there because if they're using that as an excuse not to give you opportunities, I personally think that in an educational setting, you need those opportunities to grow and you need to be able to have the chance to like explore a role and explore a character. And if they're not casting you because of your body, that's pretty fat phobic. That's discrimination in my opinion. Um, you know, in the professional world, it's uh, it's an artistic choice. But in educational theater, in my opinion, I think that uh, we just don't know what to do with you or we'd cast you if we knew where you fit, but you just don't fit in any of the shows we're doing. That shows that they don't care about your education. They just care about putting out a product. And finally, if they expect you to change your voice type or your personality or the way that you act specifically to fit into a certain type or to make up for your body in the case of uh, show-off-y kind of singing, uh, that is also a really big red flag in my opinion. And this one also can be very sneaky and insidious, but you should never have to make up for what you look like. You should never have to change who you are to fit into some arbitrary mold. And you especially should not have to do that when you are a student. So if your program or department or what have you is doing some of these things, I hope that you can find it in yourself to advocate for yourself. I never could. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know that I could. <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, I was just sort of coming at it from a self-punishing place. But I, I hope that you do not come at it from that place. And, you know, I don't think that that means you need to leave. I don't think that that means the program has to be canceled. I just think that it's something that we should be aware of and that these are the ways that fat phobia manifests in educational settings, um, in actor training, in performance training of all kinds. So just keep that in mind. Um, you know, it's not a hard line. It's not black and white. And people uphold fat phobia because it's what they know and it's what they've been raised in. I don't think it's right to fault every individual with that, maybe some individuals, but I do think that it's also still really important to learn what the signs are and learn to recognize them so that you don't internalize it and blame it on yourself and make yourself miserable. All right, so now it is time for this beautiful, raw and vulnerable interview, part one with Katrina Rose. Hi, Katrina. Hi. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. So, Katrina, tell me your origin story in the arts. Ooh, so, uh, okay. My, I guess my origin story starts with um, a pretty musical family, although uh, the only 
professional musician who had really pursued it for life uh, as a career was my uncle, who was actually um, an original Red Clay Rambler, which is a bluegrass group that uh, actually had a show on Broadway in the 80s. Um, so he was sort of a little bit of an icon of like, oh, you can really do this. Um, and my parents uh, both sang in a local Gilbert and Sullivan group. So I grew up knowing pretty much every lead tenor line in all the Gilbert and Sullivan shows at like the age of five. Um, wow. <laughs> I cannot say that I remember them anymore, but uh, that was quite an interesting trait, especially when people think of me now as like this rock and roll screamer chick. And I'm like, yeah, I grew up on Gilbert and Sullivan and bluegrass. Um, yeah, so I sang a lot growing up and, um, you know, it was kind of just one of those, it it was always got me attention. It always was something that people recognized in me. And so when starting that glorious look into the future of what are you going to do and, uh, how are you going to live your life? I was like, I don't know, but music has to be a part of it. So, um, so yeah, so I just, uh, I ended up at NYU, um, totally, honestly, by chance, I auditioned to a, at a bunch of different places. Um, my requirements were pretty slim. I just wanted to get out of North Carolina and um, study music. And as long as any of the colleges had that, I was good. I wasn't specifically seeking out music theater. It sort of became more of my focus when looking at schools and realizing Um, this music thing is really broad and there is no exact path, uh, laid out like typical businesses. Uh, and the idea of trying to figure that part out on my own really terrified me. I'm not great at that. (laughs) So, so I was like, oh, well, music theater sort of has this end goal of Broadway. Now, whether that's true or not, just in my little teenage brain, I mm-hmm. was like, okay, there's sort of this path. You go to school, you study music theater, you go on auditions, you get a Broadway show to, to simplify it as easy as possible. And like, and then you've made it. Now you're a career in music. So for me, that sort of narrowed it down to where I was looking at um, by some wing and a prayer, because if we had a whole other time, I would tell you about that audition. <laughs> which was interesting. Um, I got into NYU and it was sort of everybody's assumption. Oh, you got into NYU. So you're going to NYU, which almost made me not go because that is the type of person I am. (laughs) I Um, so identify with that. So when I got in, nobody really could believe I got in and everybody just was like, oh, well, you're going to NYU. And I was like, am I? Wait, why am I going to NYU? And they were like, because you got in. And I was like, uh, well, that's very presumptuous. And it just made me feel like maybe I don't want to go to NYU. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I ended up at NYU. And um, what's funny is I remember – so my freshman year was actually the year that they were – they must have been doing workshops or – not even workshops. They must have – they were leading up to hairspray. They mm-hmm. were doing work on hairspray. And I remember people um, in my class being like, oh my God, Katrina, you have to go to this open call. You have to go to this open call. Now, mind you, I had <laughs> just gotten, this was like my first semester at NYU, just yeah. gotten there, barely 18, like 
I was like, uh, okay. Um, I was just prepared to go to college. I was not the mm-hmm. one that was like, I'm in New York. I'm going to all the auditions. I'm in the-. I was like, yeah, I have business being there. I don't know what the hell those are. Like, <laughs> uh, so then fast forward to my junior year. And um, one of my friends in my program had become an RA and was like, listen, I have this freshman who wants to go to this open call and I can't stay with her. And I told her that I would like stay with her, but I can't because I have class. Can you, will you just come with us and can you stay? Mm-hmm. I was like, all I have is a voice lesson. So sure. And it was for hairspray. They were at this point, they had opened on Broadway um, very recently and they're, uh, they were looking for the tour. Um, Mm -hmm. they were looking for the tour replacement actually, I think. So the, the tour was like just starting and they had already cast it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I went to this, (laughs) I went to this open call with her and I was like, well, if I'm going to have to go, I'll just, I'll wear something. I'll bring a song again. Can't remember what I sang. Probably something completely inappropriate. It was, it was sixties. I remember making sure it was sixties, but it was like probably the wrong sixties, 100%. (laughs) So it was open call and they had, it was like massive open call and they had uh, like nine or 10 different rooms where you would go off into. And we finally get seen, this little freshman goes off to one room. I go off to another room. Um, I sing for somebody and they were like, hold on. And um, I see the freshman outside and she's like, okay, well, I'm done. They told me to go. And I was like, okay, I think they have to, I think they told me to stay. <laughs> I was like, whoops, my bad. Um, and then I walked into another room that same day, like a, couple, a little while later. And um, it was Craig Burns was sitting yeah. there from Chelsea. And this was baby Craig Burns before he was anybody at Chelsea. Now he's like Chelsea's right-hand man. But yeah. Um, and he basically was my cheerleader for the next nine auditions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and uh, and then I didn't even, lo and behold, they decided not to actually cast anyone. From that, they cast two of us to go to Tracy Camp. So we ended up in um, Toronto with the entire Toronto cast. Mm-hmm. And um, just learned the role. And they continuously told us, like, you are not guaranteed a job. You are not guaranteed to ever play Tracy. This is basically an ongoing audition, although we're going to pay you. And um, That was so my I, next question. Yeah. So I left NYU. Um, they paid for me to become Canadian Actors' Equity, Actors' Equity, and paid me the standard Canadian Actors' equity uh, fee and per diem since they moved us to Toronto for five weeks. Wow. And uh, it was, that was the start. That was the start of it all. (laughs) Wow. So Tracy Camp was just like rehearsing, basically learning a show. And it was you and one other person. Yeah. So it was me and um, me and one other girl who were just like the campers. And then we were there with Toronto's um, Tracy and Tracy standby. Gotcha. Uh, so we, the four of us were there for a week without anybody because um, this role was so, is so hard. And I, I'm saying it like that because this is where the fat phobia 
begins. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, like here it is in its true business form. They were so scared that a fat girl could not possibly do this role. They were so sure they had built a role that was completely impossible for a little fat girl to perform Mm -hmm. that we needed excessive extra time. Now, granted, I, I did not have the dancing background that the other camper did for sure. Like she was a Mm -hmm. legit dancer. Um, but like it, it, it always was interesting to me how it got sort of twisted and turned. Um, and I've heard stories from uh, people who were in the original companies who said that like when they were, they put, they originally didn't have the height restriction. Yeah. And that it was because when the original standby went on and she was taller, I believe she was like five four or five five. And the producers were horrified and somebody said that it looked like a house was going across the stage. Oh my God. I do not know exactly who it was. These are stories that I heard from people in the cast. So I'm, it's not my words. Um, it is all hearsay. However, yeah, that was said. And then all of a sudden the role got much more specific. You had to be under 5'3". You, mm-hmm. They were looking mm-hmm. for a very specific shape. So even when I was cast, so I did all Toronto. I went back home. I was supposed to be going back to NYU because I'd left NYU for this um, and was calling Craig Burns every day because luckily he wasn't <laughs> Elsie's right-hand man, so I could. I had no agent still, nothing. Uh, was calling tell was calling Craig every day, being like, "Dude, I am I gonna am I gonna have a job? Am I being sent somewhere? Like, what's going on? I have to reapply to NYU if I'm like I have to schedule my classes and stuff." And he was like, "Well, don't do that, but I can't say and da 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 and like giving me this runaround." And finally, um, I get a call saying, "Congratulations, they want you to be the standby on tour." So I was super excited. I didn't know anything about the talk of little fat girl. And honestly, I, I didn't feel the fat phobia, um, yet mostly because I, you know, you feed, you're fed the insecurities already. So I already had the insecurities of, Oh God, thank God I'm getting this extra time to learn these dance moves. Thank God I'm getting this time, you know, because I've never done anything like this. I'm not, I was looking more at it from an, I've been plucked from obscurity. I've never done a professional show. Mm -hmm. And now I'm being stuck in a room with people who've been doing it for years, you know, who are real dancers, who are real actors, who are real performers. Yeah. Um, All of those insecurities in my own head. So I was looking at it as all as a blessing and like joyous and taking, like taking those crumbs and being like, yes, yes, yes. Whatever you want, whatever you need. And uh, Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I got offered the tour and my contract (laughs) was so weird because I was joining the tour four months before they hit LA. And little did I know that uh, Marissa and Harvey and Dick had all had in their original contracts that if they wanted to, when the tour hit LA, they could come into the tour. 
and whoever was on tour would just be bumped out for the run of LA. And this was back in the day where full production tours were happening. And so you were sitting down for a minute. They were in LA, I think for three or four weeks. Oh, okay. For a full month, like they were going to be in there. So my original contract was only for four months. Mm -hmm. Again, I had no agent. I was like, great. I don't care. Um, And they had said to me, you know, and then you'll come back. But they didn't put me on a retainer. They didn't. Nobody. And I didn't know to ask. You know, I just was like, grateful to have a job, going on tour, little baby Katrina, you know, like thrilled. Then was the catchet of um, the caveat of uh, you will be weighed monthly. Mm -hmm. And we would like you to lose 20 pounds because as the standby, we don't believe that you will be able to do your job of jumping in whenever we need you. How big even were you then, if you don't mind me asking? Not at all. Um, I was – I'm trying to think. I think I was around like 170 pounds, maybe 175 pounds. Um, when I went when I went to college, I was right at I was almost I was pretty much right at 200 pounds, which was mm-hmm. the heaviest that I had been on my little five foot two and three quarters body. Gotcha. And um and carried it very much. I've always carried all my weight in my stomach. So Mm -hmm. did not have the, cause this was the other part of the fat phobia. They just, they really wanted hourglass shape. Yes. They want, which also always made me laugh because if you were basing it off the John Waters movie, Mm -hmm. Ricky Lake was one, five, four, two, not hourglass. Yeah. She's just not, she was a, big girl. I just, she wasn't this tiny chubby girl, you know what I mean? And I feel like that became the look quickly when they were starting Mm -hmm. to see the popularity of the show. It was like, oh, we're breaking all this ground to have this fat icon girl who's breaking all these boundaries and yes, there are fat jokes, but she's got all this confidence and she's proving them wrong and she's proving how she's more than just that. And like, and look at how loving the family is. And the one like cohesive family units are the Turnblads and Motormouth Maybell. And like, so yes, they broke down a lot of barriers, but then you could see how they were like, oh, but we better make her pretty. Right. How can can we make her pretty? How can people root for her if she's not, you know? Right. And we're like, oh, well, we can make jokes about her, her big butt, but then it's like cute. Cause look how cute and little she is still. Mm. And look how in comparison, like it, it, I've always wondered why she has to be so short. I'm five, six. So RIP my Tracy dreams. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know what they do now. I've definitely seen all different yeah. people. I, I will say, like, it was so funny because from some people, I would get scorned for being too small. And from other people, I would get on my contract, they're telling me to lose 20 pounds. Like, when I right. walked into that job, the other Tracys were bigger than me. Mm-hmm. But you were the one who had to lose weight? 
But I, I was told to lose weight. I, I can't speak for any of Carly's contracts. I have no idea what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, she also was very belly heavy. And so she, she wore a fat suit. I wore all the traces that I know except for Marissa Winokur. And from what I understand, that's because she refused to, wore fat suits. Mm. They were just all built differently to give yeah. you that hourglass shape. So the bigger right. your belly, the bigger those the butt they made pads you. and the butt yeah. pads would be. Yeah. Like I had a real mm-hmm. big butt. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I had a really <laughs> big butt. And also, ingeniously, my mag pa- my mic packs were hidden in my butt. So oh, that is very, it actually served a great purpose um, yeah. because if a mic went out, it was real easy <laughs> to unbutton my butt cheeks and switch them out. Um, <laughs> fun, fun little theater facts. I used to always joke with my um, with my link that I was going to stick a squeak toy in there because he was <laughs> occasionally like squeezing my butt. Uh, without uh-huh. me knowing because I could never feel it. So it was also one of those things where I'd be like, if you're going to do that, I like you got to like hit me or something because I can't feel it. So I can't react to it. So it's like yeah. I'm not reading anything. So I kept telling him I was going to hide a squeak toy. I never did. But uh, yeah, so we all had fat suits. Um, and Kayla Settle, I do know, was being told to stay the same weight mm-hmm. because she had lost weight doing the show. And um and so our dresser who traveled with us would was the one that was recording it all, and she thought it was awful and stupid. Um, so she would stand on the scale when Kayla would weigh in, and she would just arbitrarily subtract pounds when I would stand on the scale, mm-hmm. and she had to log it all. Um, but that was the start, I would say, the real start of my disordered eating because on weigh days, I wouldn't eat. I didn't eat anything. Um, and that was, here you are playing Tracy Turnblad, which was a movie that I, like Hairspray, I knew. I knew the movie. Mm-hmm. My mother was obsessed with it. So I watched it all the time. It was one of those ones that sort of gave me a little hope because yeah, she had a love interest. She had, you know, she was a well-developed character. It wasn't, yes, there were people making fun of her, but those people were such awful people and blatantly made to be seen as awful people. Yeah. Like the movie doesn't side with them. Exactly. Like those are the villains. So you know like she's in the right. She is like the people that are rooting for her don't ever make a comment about it. Don't yeah. ever like put her down ever. Except, I mean, Edna does, but to protect her, you know, and it's like right. very clear that that's why. Right. And it plays on her own insecurities and like yes for sure which lord knows we could all really well i could relate to that so of course the um cyclical generational fat phobia that Mm -hmm. goes Mm -hmm. around um yeah so it was really tough to feel like all wrapped up in that show and i will say like it was such a joy to work on in so many ways I still love the message of the show. I think it is all – I think the show itself is all in the right place. Yeah. The issues came from the people who were shaping it yes. later. Yeah. And I don't know who those people exactly are. Like I wouldn't yeah. – I'll and tell there's you, no point calling them out. Like it's it's no. bygone, you know? It's just the no. only thing that we can do is, is to look at these things 
and learn from them. Right. And I wasn't in the early workshops to see what those conversations were, if they were coming from Mm -hmm. the creatives, if they were coming from the producers, if they were, I don't know who made the decision on my contract, you know, to put, oh, she better lose weight. I mean, at the same time, so after tour, because I left tour to go back to school uh, after being on the road for about a year and a half, I was at school for all of a couple months and ended up, uh, booking the Vegas show as Tracy. Mm-hmm. And at this point I had lost more weight um, because I, when I left tour, I had a pan- full on panic attack. of like, what did you do? You just left the only fat role in music theater oh, right now. Oh my God. Yeah. And for what you're like, what the hell are you doing? Um, and even having that confirmed by the people who were good friends of mine being like, not confirming what the hell did you do, but confirming like, okay, so that's okay. We can get a plan together. We're going to get an exercise plan together. We're going to get a diet plan together. And I did it. I went full throttle and lost probably um, a good 20 pounds before I auditioned for Vegas. And so by the time I got Vegas, I was around like one – 55, 160, um, going into that. And they still put me in a fat suit, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. no belly, just, (laughs) just, um, hips and hips, butt and boobs. And, um, my standby who I love dearly, but when I walked into that rehearsal room, I kid you not very talented. And she went on to play Tracy, in various places, but six pack abs. No. Six pack abs. And she went on to play Tracy. Shorter than me and very square. So like. Mm, Yeah. So like muscular. Yeah. Muscular and her face probably looked similar size or maybe like a little, you know, it just looked, she had a very different look, but she had six pack mother effing abs. And I remember (laughs) I mean, this is my fat phobia. I literally walked in feeling like, oh my gosh, they're gonna be like, Katrina, you you can't lose weight. We're gonna have to fatten you up, like, because I got so skinny having left the tour. Right, oh my right. gosh, and like joyous about thinking these compliments, right, quote unquote, right, right, coming at me. Um, in reality, in that contract, they also said I needed to lose weight. And when I walked in, the choreographer looked at me and said, you can't lose weight. And I was like, you know, they put that in my contract, right? And she was like, you can't lose weight. Like, no, you can't lose weight. That's a problem. And I was like, I mean, this is they saw me. They saw me audition. They know this is me. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but we were doing 10 shows. So again, they thought there's no way that she'll be able to do 10 shows a week. Nobody's ever done it. And I was so determined to be like, well, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. And you're going to have to pry me off the stage because I'm going to do it. But when I walked in and saw her, I just was like, I remember looking at my friend who was playing Link and just being like, I, they would give me a Tracy <laughs> with six back abs. 
abs. She's like a yogi. She's doing all these yoga. I'm just like, are you kidding? That's Vegas. We were like, damn. And Austin was like looking at me like, you're like Midwestern fat. That's not, you're like Midwestern normal. That's not good. We're in Vegas. Like you don't look, especially with a big amphitheater. We had like a, oh God, we sat so many. I can't remember now. It's a huge, it's the Luxor. It was a huge theater. He was like, I mean, once you get past like row three, people are going to be like, who's the fat (laughs) girl? (laughs) I was confused. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's. That is wild. It's so hard because I. it's still to this day, Jack O'Brien is one of my favorite directors of all time. Oh, yeah. He's a genius. Um, listen, I could listen to him talk all day. Doing the show was one of the most moving experiences in so many ways. But then I tell you, nothing like – and I have family history, obviously. Like I said, generational fat phobia runs rampant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my family. There's history of eating disorders. There's history of – uh, so many things, um, <laughs> emotional abuse, like yeah. just so much. Um, and it was a cycle I swore I would break out of. And I did this show and it really, it, it really did a number on me. It really, when you walk away, be feeling like one of the un- underlying, all of these amazing experiences was you're too fat to play the fat girl. Oh, yeah. And then you came out of it and like there were more roles starting to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, because previously to this, you know, I was, I think you've talked about this before. I was obviously all throughout high school. Anytime we did a show, I was the 60 year old oh, woman yes. or I was a man. Classic. Or- yeah, all the classic, mm-hmm, what do we do with mm-hmm. the fat girl? And right, and then when you graduate, they're like, you'll never play one of those parts again. And I'm like, then what will I play? Because no one's cast me as anything else, you know? It, it literally is one of those like, okay, good. So I'm just not going to work until I'm 60 years old. Right. I also look young for my age, so might not work till I'm 70. Like, who, <laughs> who the hell knows? Yep. It, it, was, it was such a clusterfuck. So- like now I was walking out of hairspray when Vegas closed, it broke my heart. I mean, mm-hmm. and also for the record, I did every single show except one day because my standby begged me because she had a bunch of family in town. And I said, yep, go right ahead. I was a standby. I know how it goes. Do the show. I could not bear to watch it. I felt bad. I was like, yeah. I can't because I felt so so much anxiety, not about her doing the show at all, but about me not doing my job. And I was just like, I'm capable and I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Especially I think in the sort of culture we're brought up in, in the entertainment industry um, of like, you better do it or someone else will take your spot, you know? Well, but that was another interesting thing that was like really frustrating for me was that I constant, I had always been told like, you know, a huge part of this business is being easy to work with, mm-hmm. showing up and doing your job. Like that is the most important. Like you may not be the absolute best at it, but you will be dependable. You will. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, everyone will know. She's going to know her shit. She's going to be on top of her game. And that is more important than whether you can 
pirouette five times. So I had always really taken that to heart. And I mean, I'm always like that anyway. Like I, there's never a time where I'm not like just, I honestly am happy to be there. Um, but I do take it really seriously. It is a job to me. So I'm not always the chattiest person in the room. I'm not Mm -hmm. the one who comes in kisses, kisses on everybody's cheeks and and like hugging. And, you know, I, I am a little nervous. I first day of work nerves and I am very focused. I am very like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I, what do I have to get done? And that has been told to me, like in Vegas, people were like, I kind of thought you might be a bitch. And I was scared. Yeah. Really? I was like, no, I was just like, I had total standby syndrome. I was like, they're Mm going to figure out that I wasn't good enough to be, which (laughs) by the way, version of imposter syndrome, which also is like, not something I believe in my heart song at all. Like standbys are the bomb diggity and are just as good. And audiences that boo when they find out standbys are going on make me so angry. I want to spit because like you're not getting the second runner up. You're not like seeing you didn't come to see the gold and you're seeing the bronze. Like that's yeah. not what's happening. And I just want to put that out there. I think people have this very stratified idea of what talent is and what artistic like prowess is and they think that it exists on a very linear scale and in sort of the way that sports do and Mm. I think I I see a lot people trying to turn like arts into sports in that yes of like who's the best who's on top and they think like oh she's just the understudy she's the silver medalist yeah right like oh she almost was as good but she wasn't nine times out of ten what's happened is that one person fit better with the other person they'd already cast. And it has nothing to do, you know, they liked this look slightly better with this look. They like, you know, oh, this person is slightly older. So we needed someone that looked a little older, whatever. So Mm -hmm. you're not, as far as the actual talent goes, you're not getting any worse. But that doesn't, that idea doesn't leave your brain because we are trained to be like, Oh God, please like me, please like me, please reassure me, tell me I'm good, give me the job. And so having been a standby for so long, I knew that when I went on, I gave a great show. I knew I was giving people their money's worth, but I also knew that there were many people in that audience. It was an uphill battle. There were many people in that audience, even on tour. It wasn't that they came to see Keala because Keala wasn't Keala then. Um, Now they probably would, but Keala wasn't Keala then. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like they were looking for her to be, you know, she wasn't a star, but it was just the fact that they knew I wasn't the one who normally played her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I did get booed. I got booed in San Francisco. Oh, my God. Really? They announced me because I ended up like having to do it 10 minutes before or something crazy. And the feeling when you are – and I think it was only my second show Mm. ever. Mm -hmm. When you are in that little bed (laughs) and the curtain is about to rise and literally the show starts with you by yourself in this bed trapped – with a spotlight right on your face, like you know everyone. There's nowhere yeah. else to look. Oh my gosh! And all you hear are boos after your name. 
I just, it took every ounce not to start crying. And I was like, you have to be bright eyed, bushy tailed, Tracy Turnblad. You cannot be upset about this right now. Yeah. Oh my God. There's no time. And I just had to be like, okay, okay. We're just going to prove them wrong. It's okay. We're going to prove them wrong. And I have never probably sung, danced, acted so hard in my entire life. (laughs) And why? Like my... My go-to is the best I can give, but I felt like I, I mean, like I, it's a good thing I didn't hurt myself because I literally yeah, nearly hurled myself off the stage trying to prove to like, you know, Joe Smith, who probably has seen three shows in his whole life, but yeah. he has the right to boo me. And now I feel like, oh God, I've got to prove something to Ugh. him. Yeah. It's such a mind fuck. It's so, it's so ridiculous. So I went into Vegas being like standby syndrome and like they're going to find me out. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I always looked at it as a job, but there I met, I have worked with so many people on that tour, not as much in Vegas, but that just were like, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing the show today. Mm -hmm. And they would call out all the time. And as a standby on tour, nothing made me matter. I was like, I would give my right arm to be on that stage right yeah. now. And you just don't feel like doing it today. You just don't feel like it. I think people say that in a, this performative way a lot of the time too. I like- hope so. I hope they really <laughs> had something going on because it was the most nauseating thing to me to hear and see that from people. And then to see those people continue to work. Yeah. But they were more malleable, shall we say? They could fit into more things, into more right. shows, into more costumes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I also think that that will always play. Like, I'll always, I don't have room to ever do that. Yeah. I just don't. Even at the size, and granted, I'm probably closer to my Vegas size now. <laughs> than I was. I've got, I've, I mean, I've ridden the wave. I've been mm-hmm, all over mm-hmm. the place. Um, but when we came back to Vegas from Vegas, I was having those panics, but also there were starting to be more roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they weren't roles that you were necessarily super proud yeah. of playing as the fat girl, um, but they existed. And that, again, because we love our crumbs, we were just happy to be included. So right there. It was just like, oh, God bless. There's another. And not only is there another fat role, but it's a younger fat role. Oh, my gosh. They're acknowledging there's fat people in our world. Before they hit 60. Yeah. Before they hit 60. And those Before they have kids. Yeah, exactly. And are no longer viable as a sexual object for that reason. (laughs) Right. And now, granted, none of these characters had sexual (laughs) anything, but – and most of them were the butt of the joke, Mm -hmm. but they existed. And that was just like this kernel of hope. And um, so I was was being called in for them left and right because Tracy Turnblad flat out on my resume, right? Right. But I'll tell you, having lost that weight going into Vegas, then doing 10 shows a week and wasn't trying at all to lose weight was like, you know, having whatever, like not even like on the brain in any shape, way, or form. I was mm-hmm. just trying to get through 10 shows a week and prove that I could do it. Um, but I started going in for these 
And at that point, I was lighter than I had been in Vegas, but again, still heavy by all the entertainment industry. Yeah. Right. But also carried it all in my belly. Mm -hmm. And that was not, they wanted the, they either wanted you so big, there was no question that you are the big girl. Yeah. Or they were looking for that big boobs, big hips, big butts. Yeah. Smaller waist. Like, they wanted that. Sh- they wanted the Tracy shape. And I almost yes. want to come in and be like, guys, you know, I was in a suit, right? Like, yeah, you know, I was in a suit. People, I think, just don't realize that distinction a lot of the time. Um, I think now we're talking about it a lot more, which is great. But I think a lot of the times people just think of fat people as a monolith. And then they're surprised when a fat person doesn't have the exact shape they want or the exact like certain feature they want, you know, because they just think that like all fat people are the same because they're all fat. And it's so hard because I keep going back to it, but taking these crumbs, we're, it's just exciting to see some sort of representation Yeah, that's, and some sort of idea, at least some acknowledgement that there is this other type out there. That you exist. Yeah, that you Which exist. Which then is doubly, it's like compounded as an actor because it's like, oh, that you could be employed in and be able to do what you love. Right. Yeah. So it became this like really hard world to live in because I was too fat to be any of the ingenue or even mean girl or whatever. And I was too skinny in everyone's worlds to be these new fat characters. Mm, okay. And like I could see their faces just being like, mm-hmm. and some would just come out and be like, she's not quite the right. <laughs> they never say she's not fat enough yeah. or that she's too fat. It was always like, she's not quite the right body we're looking for. <laughs> I'm like, <sighs> you can just say it, guys. Do you know that TikTok sound that's like, I think I'd rather you just called me a slur. <laughs> that's what I thought of. Like, just honestly, that's what I've always felt. Like, I wish they would just cut the BS because we all know what yeah. is we can really tell. being thought. We're not stupid. You know, like, um, I think there that that is also another another fun fat trope of fat people being dense and stupid. But like, we we know we know. Like, I, it was so irritating because I was I was getting written off a lot, like left and right, mm-hmm. just walking in the room. And it was just like, I could not catch a break. So all this momentum that I felt like I had built was quickly dying. Mm-hmm. And people just had no idea what to do with me. And um, so I just dove headfirst in that good old <laughs> – eating disorder. Um, But didn't think that I was doing that because I was exercising. Mm -hmm. I was still eating, not nearly as much as I should have been, but thought I was eating Mm because, you know, when the other – when you've seen people be anorexic, you're like, well, that's not what I'm doing. So I'm great. Totally, totally. Um, And exercise is always, you know, we're taking care of our body, we're being healthy, we're getting stronger, you know. People don't realize how common it is to use exercise as a form of self-harm. And I mean, I'm calling my past self out with that one hard too because like it's such such a way to punish yourself. 
all the time. And I didn't, I wasn't in the mindset um, yet of like, oh, I ate this much, so I need to work out this much. I, I, it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. It was more of um, if I'm constantly working out, one, I don't really have time to eat as much. Right. And two, it felt like because I've always wrestled with, um, am I, do I have a high enough drive for this business? You know, I think that's something that's built into us early on. Again, because we accept crumbs, we also should be doing the most at all times Yes, to improve ourselves, to improve our talents, our skills, you know, oh, I Mm -hmm. should be learning an instrument. I should be going to every single audition. I should be working out, taking dance classes. I should be getting new headshots. I should be learning new songs. I should be in acting class, like all of these things. And I'm not a big doer of those. (laughs) Probably to a detriment, honestly, like I, I could definitely do more, but it was one of those things where in New York, you're so flooded by different classes and different things. It was one of, I just like one was a poor, like I didn't have that much money. Yeah. yeah. I just came off of this yep. tour, oh. but I wasn't working anymore. And although I was a smarter person than a lot of people on the road with me and mm-hmm. had saved a lot of that money, I also had to pay for living in New York. Right. Which, which is not cheap. Is not cheap at all. And I, I couldn't, the jobs that I would start, that I would get, like hosting and uh, dog walking and all these things, as soon as they were stressing me out and making my life worse, I just had this thought of like, you actually have some money in the bank. You don't need to be here. And I would leave. <laughs> oh my God, you're calling me out so hard right now. <laughs> See? <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Oh, I'm not going to, I would only take it for so long and they'd be like, I got to go. I got to go. So that's probably like a sign that you had a high self-worth. Like that's a good thing. I think. I think it's also like we're expected to put up with so much crap in, I mean, the restaurant industry is a great example. Um, And from employers and from the industry and all this stuff that like the fact that you weren't, I, I admired it honestly. (laughs) I managed to make it stretch. Like I lived off of my hairspray money for like good six years in New York somehow. Um, Yeah. But it meant I wasn't taking all these classes. I wasn't paying for new headshots. I wasn't. So I did always have this fear of like, well, I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that I felt like I had control of that I could afford to do that was going to benefit me, not just in – the business, but in life, was mm-hmm. paying for that gym membership. I would do insanity in the morning on an empty stomach. I'd have a little protein shake. I'd walk to the gym. I'd be in the gym for at least hours. I would walk everywhere in New York. Like I'd purposefully get off the train a good 20 plus blocks away from wherever I had to be mm-hmm. if it was like less than I would say 30 blocks, 40, probably even 50 blocks. I'd be like, oh, I can walk that. How long is that going to take me? Hmm." You know, like I, I was constantly moving and Mm -hmm. I was not feeding my body enough at all. I was eating no more than 
calories a day. And for a while I was heavily abusing uh, diet pills that Mm -hmm. have since been discontinued. And I remember being so mad when I couldn't find it and was like trying, like Googling it, trying to find it more because I had run out and um, all these articles coming up about how people's hearts had been stopping, how it wasn't FDA approved, how they, they had to be pulled. And reading those and not going, oh shit, thank God I didn't, that didn't happen to me. Instead being like, damn it. I need them. Like, what yeah. where are they? I need to get them. Where can, maybe it's I can like, still oh. buy them on Amazon. Like, girl, that yeah. is messed up. Like literally reading that people were dying and me being like, okay, but where can I get them? Yeah. That is, <laughs> that is messed up. And I felt awful on them. Always jittery. Net, like couldn't really eat because they made my stomach so upset. But yeah. I, I was getting so small. The messed up part is I wasn't booking more stuff. Mm. And I was probably the most unhappy I'd ever been in my body. I still thought – I was like, I'm still too fat to be any of these other roles. And But I was getting praised in other ways. Like people would see me and be like, oh, my God, you look great. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple people who I remember never like commented and I I – like a uh, lovely woman who I worked with during Hairspray um, who never made a comment about my weight. And then I, when I got myself off of that roller coaster for a little while, which was good, not that it doesn't rear its head ever so often, but like mm-hmm. I started gaining some weight, uh, some weight back. Um, I remember the day actually that I was like, something's not right. I was at the gym and I lifted a 10 pound weight, which should have been light for me over my head and my whole body was shaking. Mm-hmm. And I called my sister who had her own history and um, was like, but at this point I didn't think I was anything like her mm-hmm. um, in that world and was explaining to her, like, I was like, it's so weird. Like, and she was like, oh, well you're malnourished. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, what do you mean? I'm eating. I am eating. And she was like, I'm, yeah, you might be eating, but if your body is shaking under the weight of a 10-pound weight, then you're not eating enough yeah. to function. And for her to say that to me made me go – made something click. If yeah. she could see that in me all of a sudden, I was like, oh, no, I've gone too far. Like something is wrong. And then when I saw this girl like months and months later, she was like, oh, thank God. And I was like, thank God what? And she was like, you gained some weight back. You were really scaring me. I was about to say something. And I was like, what? Really? I'm like, you're the only person who said anything. And she was like, well, more people should have been saying something. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So what happened after that? I'm like engrossed in the story now. (laughs) Um, I mean, I gained some weight back. Um, I would say as far as career goes, there is a big lull after hairspray. And that Mm -hmm. was another thing that was like so hard because in your brain to go from being plucked from obscurity, quote unquote, um, in this open call world, it was like, I always thought that was the hard part, just being seen the first time, getting in the room and being acknowledged the first time, whenever that was going to happen. But once that happened, I was always (laughs) mistakenly under the impression that like, 
Well, now they know. They've seen that you can do this. They know you're good. You've proven yourself. So Mm -hmm. from here on out, I mean, once you're here, you're just here, right? Yeah. Which is the silliest thing because you could look at any example in the arts and know there is no guarantee. A person that has a one – has number one on the billboard drops into obscurity the next month. You know, like it's very rare that people stay at the top. And granted, I wasn't even anywhere near the top, but as far as success that my North Carolinian heritage would understand, (laughs) I was on Broadway. I had made it to Mm -hmm. dot to D in record time. And then it was – Nothing. It was like it didn't count. And that was so hard for me to understand. And to walk into Telsey and not have them be excited to see me when I just had worked so hard for them for years, like to have anyone in the Telsey office not know who I was, was like shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, again, they weren't as big as they are now, but like that was a harsh reality to be hit with. And just like I did. And and that was a huge reason why I like had tried to lose so much weight because I thought, well, okay, so this will get their attention again. Like yeah. this is what's going to do it. That and- has always been the biggest motivator for me when my eating habits have been really disordered when I've done like really extreme fad diets. It's always been like it's always come from like a feeling of lack in my like performance stuff. Um, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I'm not talented, so I guess I better be thin, you know? It's a control. I mean, yeah. I think all of us are always – it's something that I always have told, like, ever, anyone that's ever represented me, I'm always the one that's, like, calling and emailing to be, like, feedback, feedback, any feedback, any feedback. Right. It's not because I'm searching for them to tell me that I was great. I'm not – and I'm not looking for the generic, like, oh, we just went a different way, which is what you typically You just get. want an explanation. I want something to fix. <sighs> yeah. Like, give me something that I can change so that next time you freaking cast me. Like – and it's so silly to say out loud because – the that's not how it works. And like logically, I know that's not how it works. But if there is anything, like give me something. So I think weight is just an easy thing to fall back on because when no one's giving you – Yeah. When no one's giving you a direct answer, also because of the generational and self-fat phobia that I've gone through and so long, I'm like, well, it must be that. Even if now in a world where it's not – I don't think that it is as big of a deal anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it definitely is, but it's gotten so different. Yeah. Yet I would be hard-pressed to walk out of an audition and not – and when I don't get it, not feel like a little had something to do with the fact that I was fat. Yeah. I think – I have the same thing. For me, it also goes back to having played so many moms in like elementary and middle and high school. So I'm like looking back on that. I'm like, oh, was I the mom because I was fat or was I the mom because I wasn't as good? And if I wasn't as if I wasn't the best in my elementary school, like what the hell am I doing trying to be a professional actor? You know, and it and it gets tied in. um, Certainly for me, it got tied in with I couldn't possibly be the love interest. 
Oh, yeah. And then that like leaks into your real life too, which is oh, very 100%, weird. Oh, 100%. 110%. <laughs> Falling like, in love while not being conventionally attractive is one of the weirdest things. And not feeling like you're important enough, not like not, you know, other people have have bigger things going on. They're more important. They mm-hmm. need be quiet. You know, they're anytime that you have anytime that you've been made to feel like you've taken up too much space, whether that be physically, emotionally, uh, just audibly. Yeah. <laughs> I think inherently whether it's conscious or subconscious, you just find ways to shrink yourself as small as possible so that you're not in the way anymore. Like instead of, and I mean, we get, we go through that just by being women, let alone now being a woman in a non-conventional body. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so disheartening. And to, have to be in my 30s and still wrestling with that and wanting to claim space and yet at the same time when I have because again like I said I was never the one who kissed a lot of cheeks and knew everybody's name and I'm just not that person when I walk Mm -hmm. into a room for the first time at all um I'm pretty introverted (laughs) in truth, which is shocking to some people, Um, but I am and I get really nervous and a little insecure and like, so I just kind of wait for people to approach me. I was so close to getting waitress, which was a dream. And this was after years of doing a lot of workshops, doing a lot of, um, random 24-hour readings and things and never ever ne- never going anywhere with them the shows either never going anywhere or when they did not being taken with them mm-hmm. aka bear we'll get back to that um uh because <laughs> uh, that goes into my eating disorder too um mm-hmm. I am slightly responsible for Nadia not being fat anymore and I apologize um, oh my god wait whoa we're gonna have to talk about this <laughs> Yes. Uh, so we'll hitch back to that. But like, okay. Um, now I've lost my train of thought because I just, oh, so all of that. So I hadn't really been doing anything. Waitress comes up. I was already obsessed. I'm, Sarah Bareilles is one of my favorite mm-hmm. artists of all time. Um, I'd already been obsessed with the music. I knew people who had been working on it. I was like, oh my God, I, I need this. I want this so bad. And they were doing auditions for the Boston workshop which was going to be the cast that goes to Broadway. And um, I didn't, I never worked with Diana Paulus. I didn't know her at all, um, Diana Paulus. And uh, I get to the final callbacks. Sarah Bareilles is in the freaking room. The fact that I was able to sing in front of her and not pee on myself is amazing to me. It's, I'm impressed. i was very impressed with myself. I'm not. I'm more impressed with you not peeing yourself than I am with you getting to that callback. I'm just seriously like (gasps) when I walked in the room and I was like, "Oh God, okay, it's great. I'm just gonna be normal." Um, and gave a really good audition. I thought. Um, they had me doing. This was. I knew this was dangerous. They had me doing like everything, 
And I was like, oh crap, they don't know what to do with me. They don't yeah, know what to do with yeah. me. And I was like, it's okay. You know what? You're just going to wow her and it's going to be fine. And maybe, you know, they need somebody. It, I might be an asset that I can co- that I can sing all of these parts. I did right. Dawn. I did. I mean, I was doing all of them and I hadn't done. Um, of course, I already knew she used to be mine because it's a brilliant song. I love it. I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with it. I want to sing it all the time. And I cry when I do. It's a problem. Um so I like they asked me to wait outside and Patrick came out and was like, um, can you just wait one minute? Also, Sarah just wanted me to tell you that she is obsessed with your voice and she loves it. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, we might have you, we might have you look at she used to be mine. And I was like, just FYI, I kind of know it. I kind of already know it. Just like, I don't know if that matters. I'm happy to sing it. I will sing it. So, and they were like, hold on. I'm not sure that we need, you've done a lot. So just hold on. And I was like, okay, okay. And then he like went back in and he came back out and he's like, okay, we don't, we're not going to have you sing it. And I was like, okay, are you sure? And he was like, no, we're not going to have you. And then I ended up dancing, which I was horrified by, but it was this very contemporary emotional dance rather than, and they were talking a lot about how they wanted this to be like, find your connection to it, find all these things. Mm-hmm. And we, it was with a partner. So it was like very connected, very like different than anything I'd done. And I knew, I remembered everything that I was going to do. I really was connecting with my partner. We went first. <laughs> they made us go first while everyone else watched. Everyone oh, wow. else that was in the final callback was in the room watching. And um, literally one of the girls I uh, that was in there in the final callback with me knew me. And afterwards she was like, oh, my God, when they made you go first, like I, w- I didn't know how I was going to keep going because I was like about to cry, like watching you do it. And I was like, wow. She was like, you were so – it was so good. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So fast forward, I'm sure that I got this job. Never been more sure of anything in my life. And they come back and say they went with someone else. They wanted a different body type. Damn. Um, fast forward to, to me trying out for them again for a swing position. And they come back and say, um, so Di- they have a contract for you. But Diana likes to know who – she wants to know who she's working with. And so if she hasn't worked with you before, she kind of vets you. And I was like, oh, well, I can give her anybody that I've worked with recently. Like, do you need my – do you need recommendation? No, no, no. She finds her she, – she knows. She knows people. Okay. Get a call. So um, apparently you're difficult to work with. <gasps> and so they're not giving you the contract. Oh, my God. Can you tell me who? Can you tell me like where this information came from? Like, are you sure? Like, I just worked with this person, this person. I I won't tell them anything, but you can contact them. Like, I've never heard that. Nobody's ever said that to me. So I don't know where it's coming from. Nope. She trusts her people. Damn. Broadway gone. Like that. I almost left the business. I almost left the business. Yeah. I, I don't blame you. That's so much. Yeah. So that one was the hardest one. Um, and I literally like, I called my friends having like a full on meltdown and it was just like, when it's one thing, it's one thing to not be the right body type. It's one thing to be told we don't like your voice. Uh, we don't think you're good. Great. You know, these are all things 
that either I can work on or are subjective or just like, I'm not your cup of tea, great, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The fact that a Broadway contract was about to give me an offer and someone that I don't know, didn't even necessarily work with, but somewhere their word was bigger than anything I could do in that room. Yeah. And I didn't even know it. I don't even I to this day I don't know who it came from or what it if it was about an actual job that I had done, if it was someone who had met me 10 years ago, if it was somebody who I just worked with, no idea because nobody has ever given me that feedback. Yeah. So even more reason even more reason why it's hard for me to take up space. Because yeah. now I feel like I've officially been punished. At some point, I either maybe stood mm-hmm. up for myself or maybe just didn't know somebody's name or maybe didn't kiss somebody's butt. Yeah. And that was enough. It's one of the hardest things. It was one of the hardest pills I've ever had to swallow. And I, when I went and finally saw a waitress, I just cried oh, in God. the back of the theater <laughs> watching it. And I was like, I really wanted it to be a bad show and I still really love it and I still really want to be in it. And I just sobbed in the back of the theater. Oh, that's awful. I'd still do it, though. I'd still do the show. If Give Katrina a reprieve. <laughs> we'll do it. I'll do it in a heartbeat. Damn. Thank you so much for listening to part one of the season finale of More Than Tracy Turnblad. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe so you can get part two next week. And also stay in the loop for season two and any bonus episodes that may happen before then. If you'd like a constant stream of content, even while we're in a season break, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at More Than Tracy T. And feel free to follow me as well at Abby Rose Morris. You can also find more information on MoreThanTracyTurnblad.com. And make sure you tune back in next week for part two of my interview with Katrina Rose. Bye!